0: As I said to you all, ladies and gentlemen, we do have a special interview at this point in time. It's a topic that many people have been discussing. People have been asking for information on what's going on with this TSTT hack. How do these things happen? What's the impact it could possibly have on an individual and their finances? And joining us at this point in time is a gentleman who will be able to to give us some insight into what's going on and uh, whether or not some of the concerns that people are expressing are justified and how to possibly treat with those. Let's welcome to our program here this morning. He is a cybersecurity professional. That's Garvin Dennis. Good morning to you. Welcome to our show.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me.
0: Nice to have you with us here this morning. Before we get into the nitty-gritty details of what has transpired and how it's impacting on people who possibly could, let me allow you the opportunity to familiarize my listeners with you. Tell us a bit about yourself and some of the things that you're involved in.
1: All right, so uh, my name is Gavin Dennis. I I lead a US-based cybersecurity company called G5 Cybersecurity. I'm originally uh, from Jamaica and primarily I help companies on a daily basis to protect themselves from being hacked. So we help them to assess their network, to identify security vulnerabilities, to comply with with various cybersecurity standards, frameworks, and also data protection laws.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, before we get into the specifics of what transpired here at home, How important is this in the world that we live in today? Because there are many people who may not understand the significance or or understand what a cyber attack is. But in today's society, uh, the globalized environment that we deal in, technology being what it is, how important is um, guarding yourself against cyber attacks?
1: So so based on how a, a lot of our lives operate now, A lot of things that we do daily, it's done digitally. Whether we're making payments, whether we're, you know, using online services, whether we're communicating with people. So a lot of the information that we share now, um, it's being done digitally. You know, back in the days, people used to share phone numbers sometimes on a piece of paper. Um, We used to share a lot of physical documents. But now we're constantly emailing things where doing our banking entirely online instead of going into the bank to update our books and to pay over the counter. So our lives itself is almost revolving entirely in the digital space. You know, even dating now is mostly online. So with all of that information that you're sharing, especially personal information, when you hand that over to some entity or you share it, in some digital form to get it to another person, if that data gets compromised, then anything sensitive that you've shared in that, whether your health, your finances, your 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 dating life, you know, even other private things, if that gets hacked, then you yourself could be, you know, facing, you know, significant embarrassment or just opening up yourself to a lot of unwanted trouble, like Identity theft.
0: Mm. Yeah, we, we, we've been having the discussion since this entire scenario with TSTT broke. I'm I'm positive that you'd be aware of what happened with a telecommunications provider here at home, and the the hack that resulted in a lot of personal information, private information, being downloaded. It's on the dark web. It's been downloaded. These one story said thirteen thousand times, and and on and on and on. Let's let's deal with the. The specifics of it now, um, w- there are people who may not understand the term. Uh, as unbelievable as this may be in today's digitized in- environment, um, what is a, a a cyber attack? What 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 constitutes uh, a cyber attack and a hack? Like what TSTT and all these people are talking about, for people who may not understand it.
1: Sure. So so there are lots of different types of cyber attacks. But the the particular one that happened in TSTT's case is that a virus essentially, malicious software, got onto one of the company's systems and it encrypted their files. So basically it locked the files that were there and then it prevented the company from accessing them. And that is where the ransomware comes in. So it locks the files, prevents the, the company from accessing it it leaves a, a note behind to say, if you want to unlock your files, you must pay us money. Now, during that process, what they, the hackers do is, they download the files from, from, um, that they've just compromised. So they take a copy for themselves, and then they lock the files that are um, the same copy of files that are in the original place. Now, if you don't pay them the ransom, similar to, you know, uh, uh, physical kidnapping, if you don't pay the ransom, what they do now is they release the data to the public because that's the threat. They know that you don't want that, that company data to be released to the public to know all of your confidential stuff. So they, that is their threat. So if you don't pay then they release the data to the public and that is exactly what they did so they usually give companies about a week or two weeks to to come to them and pay the money but there's still no guarantee that even after you pay that they will release the data but in a lot of cases they do they 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 will you know give you the the keys to unlock your files but remember they still have a copy of your files And these are criminals, so you can't really bank on them keeping their word that even if you do pay, they are going to delete the data. Mm. But that's the whole premise of it. They take your files, they lock the files that are remaining on your your PC, and this happens to people also, not just companies. They lock your files and demand that you pay them, um, in like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, demand that you pay them, to, to regain access to your files,
0: is there no mechanism to trace these individuals where payments are going and that kind of thing and bring them to justice?
1: Yes, but it's it's extremely difficult um, because the 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 whole idea about um, cryptocurrency and some of the, the the big selling points is that it allows you to 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 sort of be anonymous. It's it allows you to not be under the the same level of scrutiny that the banks currently have you under to be essentially be in your business. So, although yes, they are traceable for the average person, um, the the kind of resources that it would take to to identify the actual person behind a wallet. Um, that's what they the, they they call the the cryptocurrency accounts. They're called wallets. So to actually trace who has that particular account slash wallet, it would be extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Governments sometimes um, trace where the money actually ends up, but it's really hard. And and that's just the whole design, a part of the the selling point of the whole design of the the cryptocurrency, um, the whole cryptocurrency um, network that has been uh, developed over the years. It's about giving you some amount of anonymity um, so that you're not under the the same level of, of scrutiny that the banks currently have you under now where you need all of these documents and mm. you need to be telling them where you're getting your money and what you're using it for. It's to give you a break from that whole oversight system yeah. and basically so, allow the people to regulate themselves.
0: Yeah. So there's not the level of accountability um, that would go along with normal banking transactions. In your number of years dealing with cybersecurity. Uh without identifying obviously the individuals or companies or anything else, do you know of instances where persons paid the ransom and and what kind of money are we talking about? Oh yes, so there are a few there are
1: a few um there are a few instances where companies do pay, but it's 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 in the minority of cases so I'd say or I'd say maybe five percent of companies actually pay the ransom, and the reason why. Or at least, let me say the reason why most of them don't is that a lot of them, when they get um, hacked w- with ransomware, they 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 wipe their systems and go back to work. And so to them, that is uh, an easy fix. Oh, we have malware. Let's wipe our servers, restore from a backup, or let's wipe our servers and just start over,
0: mm. and
1: then just continue working. We just saved. A million US dollars right no they do that they go back to work then two weeks later they hear that their company's data was dumped online and the world is accessing it and all of these confidential things have been released now they start to to regret and reconsider if they should have paid the flip side of that is a lot of them do not have the money to pay they don't have that type of free cash to throw at this one-time um, problem that's not helping them to generate an income. So well, um, for the, the the hackers, how they calculate how much money you should pay is they do online research to see what is your total annual revenue and they tend to calculate about 4% of your revenue. So your gross revenue, right? Now they don't care about how much profit you're actually making right they are calculating about 4% of your 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 overall gross revenue and then that is what they are asking you to pay as the ransom but there are a lot of caribbean companies that are not cash rich and so they don't have that money to to pay out at the the drop of a hat and so some of them don't have the money at all and some see just wiping their servers you know they think it's they don't take the threat serious because a lot of them have never seen ransomware. It's the first time they're getting ransomware, so they don't take the threat serious and they just think it's just some, you know, some stupid people just leaving a note trying to threaten them, and they wipe their systems and just go back to work. And then a week or two later, their data is out. Mm. So that's what causes that big gap between that very tiny portion that actually pays, and then the other um, large mm amount who don't.
0: Yeah. So we're talking about companies and their information and, and, and all of those things being put into the public domain. In the TSTT incident, the information that was put into the public domain is personal information of its clients. Yes. What, yes. what are some of the implications for the clients? Now, the, the company would have its own issues to deal with and the company yes. would have the, the wherewithal financial and technical and everything else to address those concerns but you have a population now we were told this thing was downloaded 13,000 times we were given all kinds of figures over a million names and addresses and personal information and everything mm-hmm. else So, are, are, are people justified in being concerned that their information is now out there?
1: Oh definitely, definitely. The, the thing that I've experienced so far is that a lot of people don't understand why it's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a few persons who they are a bit tech-savvy, so they do, but other people, they, they hear about a breach, they hear that personal data was disclosed, but they don't really understand, okay, why, how does this affect me, because they're still continuing their normal daily lives, right? And then they don't feel an immediate effect. It's not like they immediately see where they lose money from their account. But, you know, for people listening... Um, if, they, if their data was included in that um, TSTT dump, one of the things the media um, has reported is that copies of people's personal um, IDs, national IDs, was in the dump. Copies um, data with people's uh, address and their name was in the dump, and so. The, the, the possibilities of what the information that data could be used for, it really comes down to the creativity of the the criminal or the persons who are trying to abuse that info. So things like signing up for, for online services, you know, signing up for any things relating to banking, providing, you know, fake IDs, even using that same pictures of IDs to generate, to create, a fake ID that uses legitimate info, so it's one of the things that that it helps the, the the people who tend to do identity fraud to have legitimate information that they can use to create a fake ID or a fake card. Usually, which you know that's what makes their job harder. But if you have legitimate copies to use, right? It makes your job easier as the identity um, fraudsters to make your fake ID easier you know whatever the fake documents are because you have genuine info to to relate to also from a banking perspective most of the time if you call your bank to make certain transactions or certain changes they are going to ask you to verify certain things your name where do you live your date of birth um, the ID numbers that you submitted to them you know things like that and if you have a copy of those things, you can practically call around to certain agencies, financial institutions, and to check if the person has an account there. And, you know, it's not too hard. You know, you call one place, the bank says, oh, I don't see that information. You hang up, you call another bank until you find the bank that that person is using, and then you can make certain changes to their accounts because all of the information that you would need, their phone number, their address, their date of birth, and even you know, they might ask you for the your the ID number that you submitted, you have most of that info. And so it's it's it, it makes it easier for criminals and fraudsters, etc., to make fraudulent changes to people's accounts, changing their email address, changing their phone numbers, you know, even making transactions over the phone if the bank supports that. And so people will be losing money over time.
0: So the I, I'm assuming the most pertinent and probably obvious question now is, what do people do? Can people do anything? Because we were told it's 1.2 million names. I I question that because we have 1.4 million people in the country, but they they say it's 1.2 million names and addresses and and and, and related information. So let's just say, using myself or, or anybody as an example, how do I know first and foremost whether my information has been leaked? And secondly, well, is there anything? <laughs> yeah. any, is there anything I can do to protect myself?
1: So, so one, how do you know if your your info was leaked? So there was a website that was created. I, I'm not sure by who. Uh, uh, it, the, the news reported it that it was created by the, the 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 local community people from the the local community. A website was created where you people can search for their their info to see if their data was in the dump right so that's one um I, I i i don't remember the the link but if you google for verify my data was in tstt dump you will likely see a website that comes up and you know you'll see you'll see the 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 the, the articles online saying that hey this website was created etc right. mm the next thing is um, the next question is what can people do? So it's a very, very sticky position to be in now. But the but Trinidad has a data protection law. It's fairly new. It is not fully enforced, right? Meaning that the, the level of the accountability is not really there, but there is a law that was created to protect citizens of Trinidad and Tobago to protect their personal data. That law is supposed to provide fines and basically penalties to companies who end up in positions like this where people's personal data um, was disclosed to unauthorized people or unauthorized parties or entities. So what Trinidadians will likely have as their best course of action is is trying to hold the company or trying to get the government to hold the affected company to the data protection law. That's... But because the, yes, that's it, that will likely be the best option they have. And sure, there might be, you know, individual lawsuits that people can file, but it will really come down to how badly the breach has affected you that you can prove in the court. But there is a data protection law, which is for the general population, to protect the general population against, you know, their personal data being disclosed, abused, um, you know, and things like
0: that. Okay, and um, I mean, we probably need to get somebody in to explain that that law, and how people can apply it in this situation, because I'm not too sure if the law would have would have um, catered to persons willfully distributing your information, as opposed to a hack, as to what happened here.
1: Oh yes, it so it does. It does. So it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how the data got disclosed, as long as it got disclosed to in, a, in an unauthorized way, then the the companies are accountable. The problem now is that the 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 accountability structure. So for all of these data protection laws, they have what's called an information commissioner's office, or basically the oversight body, which is the one that's responsible for administering the law. So similar to like. You know the the like gun crimes and such as administered by the police, but no the data protection offences and breaches there is another body that is responsible for doing the investigation, determining how much the company should be fined, things like that. That body hasn't been properly set up, and mm. so the accountability part of it is not fully there. It's only partially enforced. The entire law is not yet active and so so it doesn't matter if if you share your data willfully with a company and you say hey i'm giving you my data because i need to do business with you that company has a right to protect it and they can't then go and share it somewhere else without your permission without your authorization so it has to be limited to the purpose that you gave them that data so now that this breach happened right the company is accountable because they should have protected that personal data from being disclosed to unauthorized parties, well, meaning that it shouldn't be disclosed to other citizens and it shouldn't be disclosed to the general Internet. Well, And yeah. also the breach itself mm-hmm. also suggests that the data wasn't properly, that set of data wasn't sufficiently protected, and that's the reason why it was stolen.
0: Well, that's a kind of worms that you've uncovered here now that I am positive uh, we've never I I don't think we've heard this element of the discussion before in the national landscape um, that there is the possibility that TSCT can find themselves uh, facing some lawsuits as a result of what transpired. Our population may not necessarily be as educated and and I use that term loosely Uh, there are some experts in, in the industry who would know but by and large the general public may not necessarily have been aware of what you just disclosed—that a company, that your information being leaked by a company through their own will or or, or however—can result in the company being fined. I, I didn't hear that before, so that's definitely something people are going to want to gravitate towards. But let's let's take it to a more personal level. Aside from taking TSC to court and saying, "Well, here, what you um, you are culpable now because my data is on the." on the internet and I didn't want that to happen you should not have allowed that to happen are there steps individuals can take to protect themselves moving forward can they do they change passwords or, or anything what what should happen or is there anything they can do or, or or no
1: yes so so although although i didn't hear about the the individual users um, you know citizens passwords being disclosed right? One of the things people can do in the interim is monitor their accounts, monitor for suspicious emails and monitor for suspicious calls. Monitor also for suspicious physical visits. So the information that that was dumped, it includes, you know, names, phone numbers, address, IDs. So what will likely happen now is that or what commonly happens, because even in Jamaica, there are lots of similar incidents. After a while, you, you'll hear people complaining or talking about how they're getting these strange text messages or they're getting these strange calls and also fraud in their bank account, you know, fraudulent mm-hmm. transactions. And sometimes they are so they're clueless as to how this, how these fraudulent transactions have happened because they're assuming that, you know, people would need to go through several steps before they can get into their account. But when this kind of data is out there, it helps the process a lot so people should be monitoring their bank accounts right it might not be today might not be next week it might not be next month sometimes it's three months down the line six months down the line you know three four it's usually like several months down the line where people start to see the fraud and such happening on their accounts because the criminals are using that info to get access to their accounts to make transfers to make changes etc so monitor your your bank accounts, right? Monitor your email accounts to see, to to basically anticipate that you're going to be getting emails trying to trick you into clicking links or taking an action, might be getting fake banking alerts to say, um, oh, this change was made on your account, click here to verify. So in addition to the legitimate ones from the bank, you have to be scrutinizing your, all communications that are coming to you very closely. So text messages that you're getting, phone calls that you're getting claiming to be people that might be claiming to be people from your bank, and also emails. And it's a very frustrating process because you're you're also anticipating that if something genuine is happening, the bank is going to contact you. But at the same time, the criminals are also capitalizing on that and trying to trick you to make you think that they are the bank and you need to verify certain pieces of info and that will primarily be the pieces of info that they don't yet have Mm. right so they might call you and say hey um hey uh george you know we are checking on some suspicious activity on your account we see here that your phone number is x your address is x and your id number is x but can you confirm the last transaction that was done on your account so when they do that it makes you believe that only the bank would have this kind of information, mm-hmm. right? Because why would a random stranger know your ID, date of birth, and address, and phone number, right? So it, it adds some legitimacy to the discussion, but it's really the criminals because they already have this piece of info that was dumped from the breach. So people have to be extra vigilant. They have to be extra um, skeptical about all of the communications that they'll, they will be receiving um, in the coming, I'd say the coming months, mm-hmm. weeks and months, because the criminals are going to be taking advantage of it and there will be some kind of unusual activity that will happen to, to someone as a result of this data that was dumped.
0: Yeah, we we need to take a quick break, some messages to take us up to the news. This has been thus far a, a very intriguing interview because you have clearly identified how serious this matter is and what could possibly happen to people if if persons with ill intentions use the information that is now widely available to them and the picture that you have painted for us here this morning is is diametrically opposed to the position put forward by TSTT when this breach initially happened in that they tried it to downplay it so much and make people believe that this was not a big deal. But from what you are saying to us this morning, we're going to continue the conversation because there's some other things that I want to ask about whether or not these attacks are increasing and 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 social media and all of these things. We'll get to those discussions after the eight o'clock news. For those of you joining us in between, our special guest this morning is cybersecurity professional. That's Gavin Dennis. We'll continue our conversation right after the eight o'clock news. <laughs> Four minutes after eight, the final hour of our show here this morning. We continue our discussion with cybersecurity professional, that's Gavin Dennis. If you'd like to join our conversation, feel free to do so on six two seven three two two three and six two five two two five seven. The interview thus far has been quite an eye opener about the implications of what has transpired and some of the possible negative outcomes if people with such intentions use this information um, for nefarious activities and from your experience and the discussion that we've been having this this is par for the course this is why people do some of these things and these are some of the the end results but to the average individual the most prominent or, or commonplace hack or attack that they could possibly come into contact with is on their social media pages um, we've seen a number I've seen it, and I'm assuming everybody else you always having somebody post up well my account was hacked don't accept any any friend requests don't send any information and that kind of thing is is social media hacking just another element of what we are seeing and is something as well that people need to guard against and how can you guard against something like that
1: okay so primarily for social media hacking that usually comes through what's called usually happens due to, to social engineering or from data dumps. So typically it happens in two ways. One, some some entity online they get hacked and the usernames and passwords from their databases are dumped. Then the hackers take this username and password from this random popular service and they go around to the different social media sites and try that same username and password, because people tend to reuse the same password across multiple accounts. You find that whenever, you know, um, usernames and passwords are found, it's it's there's also a good chance that these same usernames and passwords are being used on social media accounts. So that's one way how a lot of people tend to get their social media accounts hacked. So the recommendation here is stop using the same password across multiple accounts. Always use a different password for each account. Now that can be hard, so it's good to get a password manager so that you don't have to try to remember the different passwords for all of these different accounts. So that's one. The next way how typically people get their social media contact is through social engineering, and that typically comes in the form of uh, phishing emails. So these are emails that you will get that are trying to trick you into clicking a link or sharing some type of sensitive info. It might be asking you to click a link or take some kind of action, or it might be asking you to respond with a certain amount of info. Might be saying respond with your password to prove that it's you, or to click this link to verify that this changes you, or your account is going to expire. Click here to to extend it. So typically, the emails that people receive help to compromise them. Um, emails they receive from, you know, hackers and social engineers, etc., tended to be the next most common way how people's social media accounts get hacked.
0: Yeah, somebody sending out a message here. Uh, Somebody asking about permission to third-party apps that you use via social media apps that risk such a cyber hack, for instance, and they've sent an example. When I go to Booking.com and it prompts me to log in using my Facebook profile, is that something that people should be wary of?
1: Yes, these two. um, For for example, Booking.com is a reputable company, so it's not a case that you're sharing with a company that is known to be um, entirely shady, right? They are a legitimate company, they do legitimate business. But yes, anywhere that you decide to share, share your, your access to your account, if that place gets hacked, then there's always the risk that the compromise there can be used to get into your actual social media account. Now, for you as a person, you're expected to trust these companies because they are legitimate and they have all of these different policies. So there is a natural risk that you have to accept, right? Because you you want to use their service, right? You know that they are legitimate, but at the same time, them being legitimate doesn't mean that they themselves will not be hacked. So there is a certain level of risk or, or trust um, that you have to, to give up, mm-hmm right in order to use these services and you kind of have to hope that they are holding up their end of the bargain to keep your personal data safe but in terms of you specifically the individual right you have to also do your part when communications come to you that are trying to trick you into giving up your accounts or the data that can help people to get into your accounts so it's one thing when you're sharing it with third parties but remember that people are also trying to target you directly. So you have some responsibility there to not be be scammed, yeah. to not be tricked into giving up access to your code,
0: To becoming a victim. That's some other interesting questions yes. that I, I need to get before the interview done. But let's take this call. Hello, good morning.
1: Hello, good morning, Satish. Good morning to your guest. Um, there's a lock symbol at the bottom left or the bottom right hand corner of a lot of these um, websites. That I, I've heard, um, deems them to be safe, and your connection between your computer and that website, um, any any communication there is encrypted, and it makes it a lot, it makes communication a lot safer. I've come to hear or to understand that a lot of government websites, Trinidad and Tobago government websites, don't have that lock. Um, Am I at? Because I, I'm obligated to give some of these um, websites my information. Am I at risk when I do that? Thank you. Okay, so, so that's a very good question. Right? right across the Caribbean, it's a very common problem. So what happens is, when you when you enter an address in your your, your browser, it should it should take you to, to, the company's website, the entity's website. In the URL, if you click in the URL, you should see HTTPS and then the website's address, right? So HTTPS, example, google.com. Now, some, some government websites right across the Caribbean, they are not using HTTPS, meaning they're not using the secure version which encrypts the traffic between the website and your browser. So whatever you're sending over HTTP, which is the unsecured version, which is what you're referring to with the government sites, that data is at risk to being captured if someone is either on your network, either on the telcos network, or either on the the network where the website is hosted, if they are running what's called um, traffic sniffing tools they are able to just automatically capture whatever data you're sending because the the the, the channel is not encrypted right mm-hmm. so there's no encryption now it's a bad practice that a lot of government entities and even private sector right it's a bad practice that they have but for government it's a bit more sensitive because you're almost forced to pro, to 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 use these sites to provide some kind of information some kind of data communications files whatever it might be and so the government sites have a greater responsibility than the private sector to ensure that they are secure yeah. but it's something i've seen just right across the caribbean the government the public sector type websites they tend to be very poor when it comes to good cyber security practices
0: we, we're almost out of time for our interview because i do have a paid segment coming up in just a bit but um and there are two quick questions. We spoke about the data protection law, and you said that it's not fully enforced because what needs to be in place is not in place. But is there in that law a legal obligation to inform persons when their data is is breached?
1: So yes, the laws and and right across the Caribbean, the data protection laws tend to have that clause that say, um like data breaches and such must be reported within X time. Some might say within, um, seventy-two hours. Some might say without undue delay, meaning that you shouldn't drag your feet on it, right? And the 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 the, the oversight body is the one that would be responsible to ensure that, or to verify whether you've caused an offence. Mm. So the breach is one offence, but not reporting it um, within the stipulated time is also another offence.
0: Well, the reason why I asked so, hmm? the reason why I asked that question is that question was posed to the minister. Um in Senate yesterday, as to whether or not tST plans to inform their customers, this thing took place um in october if, if I'm correct with the information on October ninth today is the eighth of November That's almost a month, and I do not think tstt and I, I'm subject to correction. I do not think tSTt has reached out to any of its customers to say to them that your data has been compromised that's well i'm We'll we'll have to to follow up on that and deal with that. But there's another question that I want to ask quickly as we wrap up: Are these attacks, are cyber attacks increasing as technology course, evolves and gets better? They
1: they, uh-huh. they they are because more and more businesses are moving away from from paper and physical transactions and mm. physical interactions to a digital form, and businesses are on this whole this whole thing called digital transformation. So every business is basically looking at how they can reduce cost and move, uh, reduce paper, reduce all of the things that come with physical. So the banks are trying to push more people to use internet banking, to to, to, to use the ATMs, to not have to come in branch and do physical things. More and more people are choosing to meet online um, instead of having meetings at their offices and things like that. So since COVID, the, especially since COVID, most businesses have been been eagerly trying to find a way to digitize something that they used to do physically so and and because of that big shift it's also creating more things that can be attacked um through the cyber world right so so cyber attacks are definitely increasing and one of the things that people i think people for people don't realize now is that back in the day there was this phrase that crime doesn't pay. But I can tell you that cybercrime pays. And it's the reason why there are so many ransomware groups. Cybercrime is very, very lucrative. And it's one of the things that are motivating more and more people to move away from physical crime where you know they can get shot and where there's a higher risk of being caught and being chased by police and stabbed and all of these things. As opposed to just safely sitting in their computer wherever they are around the world and making money without that risk of physical harm, Mm -hmm. and even a lower chance of being caught because it's much much harder for a company here to track down someone who is halfway around the world, right? As opposed to a guy who, you know, is physically out on the street who just broke into a building. Yeah. So it's it's there's a far less chance of criminals being caught for cybercrime and so the lower chance of being caught the higher chances of making money is making it more appealing to a lot of criminals so now cybercrime has shifted that statement and crime actually cybercrime does pay
0: i th- I think this discussion has opened our eyes and and i hope the listeners are more aware now of how vast this thing is and how serious the implications are this has been a most interesting and informative discussion. I think we may need to have another one on on other things because we've run out <laughs> of time. But I wanna thank you this morning, Gavin Dennis, Cybersecurity Professional, for being with us and giving us your your expertise on a matter that many people may not necessarily be as familiar with as they need to, simply because of how how involved we are in doing everything technologically wise, but how uninformed we may be about the the, the, the pitfalls that we can find ourselves in. Thank you once again for being with us here this morning on our program. Uh, Thanks again for inviting me. And that, of course, ladies and gentlemen... Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes, thank you so much. That, of course, how we drop our curtains here this morning on this interview, Cybersecurity. Of course, our guest, Cybersecurity Professional, Garvin Dennis.